I looked it up, and just in case you are feeling the crunch of these difficult economic times eating away at your budget, there is a bailout plan being offered by the state of Illinois. So you may breathe a sigh of relief today. It's called Powerball. It's the lottery. For a small investment and a little risk, you can completely turn around your financial picture and become better acquainted with a lot of distant relatives that you haven't seen for a long time. Right now, the six-digit Illinois Powerball is worth around $427 million. Now, if it gets up around $450 million, maybe it'll be worth it, right? $427 million. Now, just bear in mind, though, that the odds of winning that Powerball are about roughly 1 in 20 million. Which means the odds of you winning the state lottery there uh, aren't as good as your odds of becoming president of the United States or an astronaut or winning an Academy Award an Olympic gold medal, or having identical quintuplets. Also, the odds are not as good that you will win it as that you will die from a plane crash being struck by lightning or from a flesh-eating bacteria. And there is no way to increase your odds of winning. If you buy one ticket and then you go buy another, the odds are the same about one in 20 million. So let me ask you, since we're doing some math, what are your odds of making it into heaven this morning? What are the odds? Because in this whole business of life, there's the question about what's going to happen after you die or after Jesus returns to earth. And you know what? For a lot of people this morning, they're thinking about it just like they think about the odds of winning the lottery. The really lucky people will make it. Now, it won't be very many. I want to tell you that this morning, we are gathered here and online not just to discuss the odds of winning some divine lottery. We are actually here this morning to post and look at and talk about, again, the roadmap of certainty to eternal life. The one that leads to life in Jesus. And we're here to encourage one another to take that road. I want you to look around for a second. Just around the auditorium this morning. And I want you to notice something. We are different, aren't we? We are different ages. We are different backgrounds. Different educations. We've got different favorite teams. Watch. Dub Bears. See? Go Packers. See? And you know what, for all these things that we can look around and and really quick see that we we have as differences this morning, there is something that you and I have in common. And that is, I know it's true because we're here, that we're all interested in heaven today. We all have some interest in that. We're interested in what it will take for us to be there one day. I had the privilege this week to focus on that for several hours. I get to do that. And whether you have that or not, we're still on this similar path. You and I, I care, you care about righteousness that is real. 
That's what I want to talk about this morning. We care because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're at, remember? We're in the Sermon on the Mount talking about the Jesus life. And I really want to encourage you to get your Bibles open up there today. If you've got uh, one of these really old-fashioned paper ones, open it up and and set it open in front of you because you're going to want to look at it from a bit of an aerial view this morning. We're going to be in chapter 6, but at the end of chapter 5, remember Jesus saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus speaks these words, Matthew records these words with a presupposition that you and I are interested in the kingdom of heaven, amen? We have that interest in common. Somehow the thought of living life now as a citizen of God's kingdom and then living forever matters to you. You walked in this building this morning and maybe you saw on the wall those words, hope lives here. Maybe you picked up a bulletin, you looked at the front of the bulletin, it says, hope lives here. Or maybe this morning you're signed in on Facebook because you knew that there was going to be this gathering and this focus and thinking about how am I supposed to live in the kingdom of God? You're interested in God's kingdom, so welcome. Jesus assumed his audience in Matthew 5 to 7 was interested in what it takes to be part of his kingdom. So here's another assumption. If Jesus has told us that to be part of his kingdom, we'll need to meet certain conditions, then we'll be interested in those, right? We have that in common too. Psalm 84 says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart is the highway to Zion. So I care about righteousness. I care about real righteousness so that I'm part of God's kingdom. Chapter 6 of Matthew, where we're starting this morning, begins with these words. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And from there, Jesus addresses what that righteousness looks like. Beware practicing your righteousness. Well, what is that? Verse 2, he says, when you give to the needy. Verse 5 and verse 7, when you pray. Verse 16, when you fast. See, those were things the scribes and Pharisees all did. And exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees doesn't mean coming up with a different list of things that we all need to do. Righteousness that is real is something else. And by the end of this message, I want you to be able to say what it looks like, okay? What does real righteousness look like? Yes, there will be a test. There will. So I want you to watch, because at the end, I'm going to have you turn to the person next to you. They're going to ask you, what does real righteousness look like, okay? You're going to answer them. I hope it's the right answer, but you're going to answer them. And so watch for that answer. You may take notes, use cheat sheets, whatever you want to do as we walk through Matthew chapter 6. The answer, by the way, just to give you a hint, is going to be this. Real righteousness is lived with real motives in front of the right audience. All right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
There is another word for this. Jesus uses it then. Verse 2. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the streets corners. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting will be seen by others. Who are these people? Who are these hypocrites whose righteousness isn't real? Who sounded a trumpet before them when they gave to the needy? Who stood at the street corners and in the synagogues to be seen by others? Who disfigured their faces so that everyone would know they were fasting? The survey says, scribes and Pharisees. As the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 23, verse 5, Jesus tells them, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Anytime Jesus wanted to point to an example of hypocrisy or doing things wrong, he had this group of people he could always reference. Scribes and Pharisees, here they are. Here's an example of how not to do things. There's something wrong with their righteousness, he says, For me to be a kingdom citizen, something about my righteous living, something about my piety, my religious acts, whatever you want to call that, has to be different. The good news this morning is that is definitely doable for you and for me. That's a thing that we can do. The average listener who is there at the foot of the mountain listening to Jesus say these words, say that your righteousness has got to go way beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees, they probably had some anxiety over that. Either life in the kingdom is just something that's outside of my grasp or this man is making demands that are just way beyond what I can do. And I can picture today that lots of people as they jump into Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 and start reading through the Sermon on the Mount, either mentally or emotionally, just go on ahead and click on the I agree button. You know that one? Okay, yeah, whatever, I agree. Yeah. I want to tell you that real righteousness isn't so impossible to understand and it's within our grasp if we're willing. Last question I'm going to ask this morning is, are you willing? Okay, that'll be the question of the day. You see, real righteousness is lived with right motives in front of the right audience. There's a specific mindset that we need to have for real righteousness to be part of our lives. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, might be called the kingdom guide to how to do righteousness. If I were naming it, that would be the name of it. Here's one of the ways we do that. I see three that Jesus specifically talks about here. The first one is to do it for the right audience, also known as in secret Please don't try to impress me with the platinum level donors on the wall or the the brass commemorative plaques. You know, uh, some churches have those just stuck all over everything with people's names on them. Or the hospital named after the big benefactor. In fact, please don't encourage people to give so that their name will go up for everybody to see. 
That's not the way of the kingdom citizen. Verse 3, what does Jesus say? But when you give to the needy, do not, not your, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others but be in secret. You see a pattern here? Give to the needy in secret, pray in secret, fast in secret. The opposite of doing your good works so that people will notice them is to do them so that only God will see them. That's one way to do real righteousness. Ask the question, who's your audience? Who's seeing this? You know, since cameras are everywhere now, more people are letting that shape their choices. Did you know you're being recorded right now? Some of you are going... But fact is, there's cameras all over the place, and people bend their actions based on who they think is going to see what they're doing. Newsflash, God has been watching all along. Every day, you and I are faced with a decision to choose our audiences. Will we do good things so that we'll get credit from some people? Or will we go out of our way to to make sure that the main audience is God? And what are the lists of things that we won't do if certain people don't see? Let me say this. I know that in my own life, I have way too often cared way too much about what other people thought rather than what God thinks. I'm just being honest. And if we could get that part of life down where we would care more about what God sees and less about what people see, it'd save us a lot of grief. Who's your audience? Real righteousness is lived with right motives in front of the right audience. It's also done for the right reasons. When Jesus speaks about giving, praying, and fasting, he is talking about things that are common to just about every religion of man. Just name the religion. They all will say you should pray, you should give, you should fast. Those can't all be right, though, are they? You see, it's not the actions themselves that make them righteous. It's what's behind them. The wrong reasons for doing them are obvious. Jesus talks about it, to be praised by others, to be seen by others. He even talks about trying to coerce God by multiplying our words in prayer. John tells us that many of the authorities who heard Jesus believed in him but wouldn't admit it. John 12, verse 43, they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Imagine that. In other words, they might have been going through the right motions. They may have been doing the things they were required to do, but they were doing them for the wrong reasons. And they were all focused on themselves rather than on God. Think about this. They were choosing, rather than receiving what God would give them, to receive something from what people would give them. The right reasons are the ones that seek glory that comes from God. I like the title of Max Lucado's book. I like the book too, but the title is The Applause 
of heaven. Jesus said in John 5, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Paul said in Romans 2, a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Real righteousness is lived with right motives in front of the right audience. Here's another aspect of it that I think is wonderful, and that is it's lived anticipating a reward. (laughs) Several years ago, Carrie and I pulled into a Wendy's. We saw on their sign, free Junior Frosty with purchase. They had me at free. They had Carrie at chocolate. And the two of us pulled in, we were going to free chocolate Frosty land, so all was good. But alas, our hopes were dashed to the ground like an old glove. When they set out our food and there were hamburgers and some unhealthy side and these Two little red cups, not much bigger than a cold medicine dose cup, with a spoon stuck in it that would barely fit, covering up some little blob of frozen chocolate material inside. We had anticipated a lot more, and to quote Winnie the Pooh, I was hoping for a little bit bigger small smack roll. The hypocrites that Jesus was speaking about were duped into thinking that their reward was going to be very satisfying. Maybe people complimented them for their religiousness, and that felt good. Maybe they saw how people were watching them as they gave to the needy, and that was nice. But after it was all over, after the applause stopped, after the ovation was over, they forgot, and it was done. And that's how Jesus describes it. Four times he describes it. They have received their reward. It's a word of commerce, by the way. It's a word that means what was due has been paid. Here's the receipt, and that's it. Done. Don't expect anything else. Jesus includes this last aspect of real righteousness as a help to the person, and maybe it's you this morning, who is interested in being in his kingdom, but who struggles with the cost of it. Look again at the end of the Beatitudes. Back in chapter 5, verse 12, Jesus said, As a help to you and to me, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. When Jesus said, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, Go into your your treasury, your storeroom. It's not your bedroom. Go into the place where you put precious things. And what you deposit there is going to be a lot more important to you than all the things that you scatter outside of it. Life in the kingdom of God is lived with anticipation that our reward is going to happen, and it's not going to happen right now. The rest of the New Testament really helps us realize this. There is a look back at the faithful people of the Old Testament and the things that they accomplished. And one of the characteristics that really sticks out, Hebrews chapter 11, is that these were people who were living for things that weren't going to happen for a while. 
It says there of Abraham, he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. It says about Sarai, his wife, and others that uh, they were looking forward. They were looking for a city whose designer and builder is God, a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Of Moses, it says, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the riches of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. It says about those who were martyred, some refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Chapter 12 then looks at Jesus and says about him that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How did all of these people manage to plow into unseen places in their lifetimes? Here's the answer. They were anticipating a reward. And we're supposed to do that same thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul said this light and momentary affliction, known as life, (laughs) this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul said in in Romans 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, the scriptures are full of people who did this comparison. Reward now or God's reward later? Which will I choose? You must make that comparison. You know why? Because real righteousness is lived with right motives in front of the right audience. That's the answer to the test question. So if I was going to try to conclude some things that I should do because of what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6, I would probably come up with these three things. Number one. I would conclude that I need to figure out what my righteousness is. I need to figure that out. Jesus specifically here mentions three things, right? Giving, praying, fasting. Those things by themselves are not righteousness. Once again, God is looking for something more than just the gift, something more than just the prayer, something more than just the act of fasting. Just like in chapter 5, he is after hearts that are right and not just technically keeping the letter of the law. He is after acts of righteousness that are done with right motives in front of the right audience. That means that we're not just going to make a list, a checklist of three things. Giving, praying, and fasting and check them off, they're done. Ephesians 2.10 says God has prepared good works in advance for us to walk in so that we would walk in them. It's up to us to work out what those good works are. Amen? So I need to figure out what my righteousness is. Secondly, I need to figure out how to practice it while keeping it a secret. You're looking around thinking, I know some people who do a real good job keeping that secret. That's a little joke there. 
Well, Jesus wasn't teaching here that we shouldn't do anything public. He wasn't teaching that we should never pray in public and never do any good deeds so that it might be found out. In fact, remember in the previous chapter, what did he say? Let your light shine before other people in such a way that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I think the key here is to figure out how to make sure whenever we do things that the glory is directed to God and not to ourselves. That's the difference between the two. Sometimes that may mean it's a matter of just saying nothing, you know, doing something good and just saying nothing. Sometimes it means doing something good and saying, could you keep this quiet, just not mention my name? Maybe it's as simple as pointing a finger heavenward. Maybe it's as simple as saying, praise God, when somebody compliments something you've done. God will see it. No matter what it is you do or don't do, So ask the question, what's it going to look like to God when I do this? Figure out how to do that in secret. Number three, I need to honestly weigh if the reward from God is worth it to me. This isn't the only place that Jesus said this kind of thing. Some of you who've worked for a company approach the time of retirement and you've got an option. You can either receive a pension, a monthly income for X number of years, the rest of your life, or you can receive a lump sum, right? And every person who's given that option when they reach the end of their work for a company has a decision to make. They've got to decide which one of these will be of greater value to me. You've got to figure that out. There's a simple game that's kind of like that. It's called this or that. You ever play this or that? This or that is a really simple game, a neat way to kind of get to know people. So you sit around the table and and, uh, there are some cards or pieces of paper and each one has a this or that on it. And every person one at a time gets one of those. And it'll have two choices on it. You just ask someone, choose between those two things. Which one would matter the most to you? Which one would you want most? And then explain why, right? This or that. Pork or beef? Swimming pool or beach? Cat or dog? Text or call? Apple or Android? Coke or Pepsi? Jim, I already know. (laughs) Movie date or dinner date, you know? This or that, and then explain why. Lots of those decisions for some people when they get them are just really simple. Some of those are no-brainers. Kale or bacon? Lord of the Rings or Pride and Prejudice? Duh. All right, see, those are no-brainers for some. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is inviting you to do some kind of comparison when it comes to rewards in life. If you're finding this thought of living life in the kingdom challenging, then you might want to look at it in this light. Now or forever. Temporary kudos from people I don't even know or life forever with God who loves me and wants me. Duh. It's a no-brainer, because real righteousness lived with right motives in front of the right audience is also choosing to have your rewards in the future instead of getting the junior frosty for now. Okay, 
I told you it was coming. Test time. I'm serious. Turn to the person next to you. Ask him, ask her this question. In one sentence, what does real righteousness look like? In one sentence, what does real righteousness look like? Here's a cheat sheet for you. Hopefully your answer was something like that. You see, the goal here is to have righteousness that is real for the right reasons, in front of the right audience. And when we do, not only is glory directed to the one who deserves it, but what we receive will be the greatest reward instead of the disappointing Junior Frosty. So this brings us to a last question here this morning. Are you willing to have that? See, this happens only if you're willing. There is no reason that you would choose any of what we're speaking about looking here at this morning unless you are concerned with being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that is a matter of your choice. It's the question of, are you willing? Are you willing to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? And I wonder this morning, without you answering that out loud, if the answer is no, why wouldn't you be willing? Why not? Why wouldn't you choose to receive what God can give you instead of just what other people can give you? Why wouldn't you choose rewards that last forever instead of lesser things that are just going to fade away? Why wouldn't you choose your life for the one who is greater than your greatest successes and your most miserable failures all at the same time? (laughs) Why wouldn't you choose that? Maybe you didn't realize you got that choice. Maybe you didn't realize you get to make that choice. You do. Maybe you you made that choice and you messed it up. You think, well, there's no turning back. Really? You're here listening. Maybe you think, well, that's for other people, the lucky ones. I'm not on that same level. Jesus was speaking to the, the most common of people. And this morning to every person... His word is the same. Anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Are you willing? Let's stand up this morning. I want you to think through that question. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, we want you to respond to that. Answer it where you're standing. Think that through. Weigh it out. Jesus is giving an invitation to you this morning to life in his kingdom to become a follower of Christ if you believe in him if you're willing to say I'm done with the old life I'm going to turn my life over to him if you're ready to acknowledge that before people unashamedly say and I believe this is true to be baptized into him start a new life 
you could leave here this morning, citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Real righteousness. You willing? We're going to have a, a prayer here during a song. Uh, it's an appropriate time to come forward if you've got that decision that you're wanting to make today. If you're joining us online this morning and that's a decision that you're interested in following through with, will you please contact us? Please contact us and let us get together with you to help you begin your relationship with Jesus. You've already done that? Great. How's your righteousness? Does it exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? This is a good time to take a look inside. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words from Jesus today that give us hope, that also challenge us and that show us the way to be right with you. Not just a, a hopeful guess in the dark, but a path to real life in you. God, I pray that you would help every one of us, myself and each of us standing here today, uh, those watching online, to take the moment and ask that question if we are willing to be the kind of people that Jesus has called us to be. It's amazing to me, Father, that you even give us the choice. How much it cost you, how much you chose to pay so that we could have the freedom to choose either to respond in love and obedience to you or to turn away again. Father, thank you. Help us, please, not to despise that precious gift from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.